אנו מקדמים אפוא בברכה חמה את כל האומנים והמשלחות שבאו לירושלים ומאחלים להם ולכל מאות מיליוני הצופים ערב נעים ומהנה ובחירה מוצלחת בשיר הטוב ביותר. קטעי מעבר בתמונה ובתנועה בביצוע להקת יורם בוקר יעבירו אותנו מארץ לארץ. And now for the benefit of the few among you who happen not to speak Hebrew, let us tell you that uh, Israeli television is very happy to organize and host the 1979 Eurovision Song Contest. Welcome to the Eurowhat, episode number 60 for the week of August 26, 2019. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. And our special guest, Chris King. Welcome back, Chris. Great to be here. Good hearing from both of y'all again. We are a bunch of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we will be saying shalom to Israel by talking about the 1979 Eurovision Song Contest. Chris, welcome back to the program. Thank you for, for coming back, even after we, we subjected you to Montenegro's entry last time. I, I stand Montenegro, I'm not afraid to say it. And uh, I am glad. I hope, I hope they won. Turns out, I looked it up, they didn't. But, you know, Montenegro. <laughs> I was just flawless. about to ask, so did, you, did you see this year's contest and how they did? I've seen a good bit of it. There was a lot. I unfortunately have had a busy... Uh, last little bit but i have seen some of it and i did uh it was fun seeing our the, the six qualifiers that i was able to witness got to see them on a different stage and you know unfortunately we didn't pick any uh we didn't pick any ponies that won that won the entire thing but you know like i said it's always good seeing countries be passionate about a thing and the montenegrians uh hopefully they're doing good and we'll see them again in 2020 with a brighter future ahead of them <laughs> <laughs> Why can't they somehow sending yeah, twelve no. people next year? Why can't they win? It it, it has to happen. <laughs> Everyone's got to win at some point. You know, it just takes a while. Yeah, I mean, it only took fifty years for they Portugal. They just need to be so. like Amber Atkins and Drop Dead Gorgeous and not eat the seafood. There it is. That's a fun reference that everyone gets. Yeah, one that we keep drawing on uh, on this podcast for some reason. <laughs> Everybody should watch Drop Dead Gorgeous. So. It's on Hulu now. There's no excuse. Yes. Similarly, Eurovision is now on Netflix, which is kind of crazy that, that at any moment I can just go, okay, let's review that. Let's review that performance. Speaking of Netflix, the movie that Will Ferrell is doing dropped some very interesting casting news last week. Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey and Legion, he's going to join the cast as uh, Alexander Lemtov, uh, who's going to be the Russian contestant. And... As soon as I saw that, I was just like, yes, that is exactly who should play that role. I, I had the same thought. I was just like, yes, they're, they're, they're making him Sergei Lazarev, and I'm here for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the other bit of casting news, Demi Lovato is going to play one of the most angelic singers in all of Iceland in the movie. That kind of came out of nowhere. It was uh, announced as part of a birthday wish. I guess it was her birthday last week. And uh, yeah, Will Ferrell posted a video uh, congratulating her and also announcing that she's like in Iceland with them filming. So that's cool. Demi's yeah, fun. Like I, so. <laughs> like, I, they're, they're giving like oddly specific details every time someone is cast. Mm-hmm. 
Like, like, don't, don't get, like, the, don't give me like six tracks of the album when there's only ten tracks. Like, don't, like, save, save some of the fun stuff. World building. It's important yeah. to have things that have world building, and we're already doing it for a Eurovision movie. It's about to say, if we don't have the lore, we're not going to understand what's going on. That's why we're showing both years of Eurovision, so that when this thing finally comes out, Americans have context. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be rooting for these people before we even go into it. It's going to be fantastic. That's my theory so far. I have I have various strings connected to my bulletin board, just, just sort of connecting all the dots. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if there aren't more pop singers who just kind of pop in for cameos. Like, I'm thinking of, like, all of the cameos that were in Spice World. Like, it's like, oh, Elton John's here. Okay, Elvis Costello? Sure. Like, total randomness, and I'm here for that. Popstar had 30 different people appear in that movie. How could a mm-hmm. Eurovision movie not have, you know, a couple dozen people, especially of European-type singers, pop in and make an appearance, so... It's going to happen. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, still no date as to when this movie's going to drop, but uh, yeah, I'm getting more and more excited with each little tidbit uh, that Well, yeah, and like announced. once you, once you like mentioned that the casting director for this is the casting director who put together The Good Place, mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm suddenly more interested in this given that, okay, this person knows how to pick people for comedy. Yeah, there, there's a very strong pedigree uh, as the IMDb page gets updated, so they're not messing around with this one. Nope. So, no, no, no. Yay. The other big news for this week is we're going to get the official host city announcement on Friday at precisely 11.58 a.m. Central European time, which would be 5.58 a.m. Eastern time. So set your alarm clocks for this two-minute announcement. Like, they are very adamant that it is going to be two minutes, and then, I guess, go into the and local we, news. We will rebroadcast it later in the day, when it will still be two minutes. Yeah, my guess is it's just, like, a YouTube video of, like, cityscapes, and then the name of the city, or a picture of the venue at the end of the video, in case people can't recognize what they're looking at. Which is going to be very possible, since it's, <laughs> if you haven't been to the Netherlands, then you probably won't know what you're looking at, so... <laughs> I'm now just thinking of various ridiculous ways they could do this, like the like the like the Eurovision version of like a gender reveal where they like cut into a cake and it's the Rotterdam skyline. <laughs> ben, this cut is into a cake this, and green M and M's pour out, and that's this, how we know that it's Maastricht. This is the Netherlands. <laughs> it's going to be a wheel of cheese that they're going to cut into that'll have the name of the city inside of it. That's the way to truly do it for the mm. for the Dutch. Yeah, or something involving bicycles. Ooh, there you I, go. I do like this gender reveal uh, party concept. Well, I mean, like, I, I like it for this specific purpose, not in for general. This specific purpose, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, as, as, like, a general trend, it's horrible, but, like, in this specific instance, it would be very good. Yes. You don't like insufferable people on Instagram and people that burn down forests because of, you know, explosive gender reveal parties? How dare you? Yes. <laughs> I'm all about being insufferable at Instagram, but in this case, no, no. see, hashtag they say just nom, pop nom, a nom. balloon, it's full of orange powder, and somehow that means that it's Rotterdam? There it is. There we go, yeah. Just like a large balloon full of Cheetos dust. Sounds delicious. September approaches, and with that, the, the hope of a new year, a new Eurovision. Uh, so it felt like a great time to uh, finally click on that one weird YouTube suggestion, just because... I watch a lot of videos for this for, as prep for this show, and YouTube has is getting real good with the recommendations. And it's just like, hey, do you want to watch the 1979 contest? Because I just have that. Finally, I was like, yes, let's do this. And yeah, it was it was just a great time to kind of go back and 
actually watch one of those old Eurovisions before we had the televote, as we just got done talking about in our last episode. Just for some context, 1978's winner, which did not get played at like the top of the hour, that was a new thing to me, but 1978's winner was Izar Cohen and the Alpha Beta with Abani B. Abani B, I see why that one won. Like, that one is catchy. That one was still catchy when it popped up at Eurovision this year. It just has, like, a good vibe, so I see why they won. I see why Israel finally got to got to host, and the EBU finally had to figure out, oh, no, what do we do? What do we do? Because now, yeah. the, now Eurovision <laughs> is in Israel. And the other thing that came to mind was trying to pull together some relevant musical context for 1979, similar to, like, how when we've looked at past years, we've been like, okay, cool, it's 2012, everybody's doing a dubstep drop for some reason. Going back to, like, late 78, early 79, since this took place at the end of March in 1979, and trying to figure out what was going on in the charts globally, what can we point to as sort of lodestars to help us figure out, like, what are things going to sound like? Looking at the Billboard Hot 100, which does primarily measure American charts, but verified on in a couple of locations to make sure it was global as well like on the disco side of things we have things like Sheik's la freak was doing real well uh in the direct lead up to the contest gloria gainers i will survive rod stewart too which really kind of plays into what was going on in the in the uk and ireland i feel like mm. just because you have do you think i'm sexy it was very refreshing watching this contest and seeing disco still being alive saturday night fever was 1977 you know, the Bee Gees were on top, Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive, and it was very nice, you know, hearing some of that, that disco beat. Well, and it's especially with, like, a full string section, too. Right. Yeah. To just get those real good disco strings with, like, actual violinists. Not not quite a fifth of Beethoven, but at least approaching that, so... <laughs> yeah, cer- certainly it- approaching a fifth of Beethoven. Uh, on the ballad side of things, since there there were a bunch of ballads, too... The closest I could find that kind of felt like what I heard here were uh, Anne Murray's You Needed Me, uh, Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond's You Don't Bring Me Flowers. Yeah, it's weird to think that all of this was happening at the same time. Granted, this was a few years before I was born, so I don't really have like any sort of context for like the day-to-day music scene was like. But yeah, it's just like late 70s just is such a hodgepodge, kind of kind of like the last couple of years in American pop, where it's just like what we were saying so much during this year's uh, lead up to the contest of, I don't know, this? Well, yeah, and like, if you look at the charts right now, like, you have things like Lil Nas X, you have things like Billie Eilish finally mm-hmm. kind of taking the crown at the top, and, like, both of those feel like a mashup of genres. Mm-hmm. Maybe that just happens every time we get close to a zero year, where you have your what the 60s are, what the 70s are, what the 80s are, and then when... You just get 78, 79, you start having these the less defined music trends. And then eventually we come back to the 2020s at some point. They'll be just what the 2020s sounded like, you know. So maybe yeah. it's just we're, people experimenting more. Just, maybe we're just in the weird transitional period between decades. That's right. Let's talk about these postcards because what the H&R Puff and stuff was going on with these. We talk. I think there's been points we've made. I even last time I was here, we made points about how countries get to showcase what is great and wonderful about their uh, about their homelands. Israel decided to just 
write their own story about each country without consulting the home nations. <laughs> and I respect their de- their decision of getting right to the point of what do you think about when you think of Belgium or Italy or Spain? We're going with that. And then so like when it's Monaco's turn, it's the Grand Prix. Of course it is. You know, when thinking about Greece, it's the Parthenon. Of course it is. It was just, you know, it was it, it got to the point and it was uh a little offensive. I'm sure I'm sure uh, certain countries were like all right, we know we're Vikings. We get it. All right, let's let's calm down here. <laughs> Just watching the first one, I was like, "Oh no! Oh, this is this is a choice." Well, yeah. Well, just to describe like what these postcards are, it's like these. It's not quite green screen, but I don't know. It's like proto green screen, and there are these mimes. They're not in full mime drag, but they're doing miming like pantomime action, and. Yeah, they're just playing into all of these national stereotypes. Like, with Portugal, like, there's these four mimes that are, like, standing on a beach, and they're pretending to pull something in from the water. And at the end, it's a bottle of port. Uh-oh. Like, it's just... <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it was just... Yeah, it, it was just, like, that kind of sense of humor about it. I lost it after Belgium's postcard where it's like these guys that are in a bakery and they're holding what I wrote in my notes as a bread gurney where it's just like loaves of bread on like this platform that two two guys are holding and then there are times where neither one of them is holding it but the bread's not falling what and yeah that was when I messaged Ben and was just like I hate these like it's just so painful to watch there's just like an entire sense of like every time it does like the joke the joke is just did i do that exactly oh yeah it's (laughs) and just it's just like taking off all of the boxes for just national stereotypes like with france there's a painter there's like an old drunk with a cigarette there's but no eiffel tower weirdly and then sweden was just a nightmare creature yeah, I uh, I thought they were baby Babadooks, but I don't think that the Babadook is Swedish, so I was really confused by what was going on there. Yeah. The one that confused me the most was Germany, because yes. we earlier in the program we had Switzerland, Switzerland was the clock, Austria was later in the program, we had like a Viennese waltz, great, I love it, I don't love it, but they were very creepy at all times, but what the heck was, was Germany supposed to be? Because there was like a woman on the roof... And there were two people in the yard. And like when I was watching it, I was guessing that the next country was the Lorax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it looked like it was like two hobos. And I used the term hobos in notes for these postcards, like for at least four different countries. Like hobos fishing a ball out of a chimney. And then there's like this Strega Nona character doing something with a cauldron <laughs> in the front yard. And like I, I, I could not piece it together. And then they're just like, it's Germany's turn. It's like, Okay, sure. The majority of my notes are not about the songs. They are about, like, the postcards before things. So, like, mm. my first note that I made while watching the program is, Oh no, mimes. Later in the program, Sid and Marty Cross, a vaguely offensive nightmare. I didn't really think of them as mimes. I just kind of thought of them as, like, pantomime characters. Just people acting out. I mean, I guess they are mimes who not really saying anything. Just people portraying the tableau verite, you know, just kind of, like, just pretending to be a thing. So the 2008 competition was, like, the first one I watched, and I watched it, like, after the fact got, like, came in, like, halfway through the final. But, like, the the postcards that year were more artistic. They were, 
they had like various performers kind of going on the, in the background and like over the top they had each of the performers like writing a le- like writing a postcard to their loved ones uh in 2009 to a lesser extent they had kind of an artistic thing they just had various they fashioned like the various country landmarks into like these fantastical hairdos that would pop up on models towards the end i thought so those a little were really less cool. arti- yeah a little less artistic but like since then like all the postcards have been very driven by the location either the home either the the nation hosting in the case of Azerbaijan or just at giving the artists like a task like make a representation of your flag and i would love to see somebody kind of go back and do an artistic year to be fair to israel on this one this was the first time that they did any sort of like comedic postcard uh instead of like a travel documentary 45 second what have you as a first try it's fine it didn't age well but i don't think that's the point yeah like i don't i don't think that anybody made that program thinking that we were going to be watching this in 2019 with a critical eye that's (laughs) right it's meant to be in the zeitgeist of the year i was very i'm not gonna say concerned or worried but i knew what was israel going to do when it was their turn to point the camera back at them and I, uh, they went with a beach scene as opposed to, I guess, like Jews at the Wailing Wall or something like that. But they decided to go a little more, you know, just it's like grapes on, a, on like, I guess, the Dead Sea. That one was interesting because like, well, we've already seen Greece. So this right. isn't Greece. Yeah. And they also had the Wailing Wall in the like seven minute intro. Right. They fly by video. So they covered a lot of ground in the opening. You don't want to go to that too many times. True. So, yeah. <laughs> Gotta bring a little variety. In that like intro video, there was like a nice moment where it's like, Israel, we have all the religions. That's right. You had a cross, and then you had people at the Wailing Wall, and then you had a bunch of people that looked like they were praying towards Mecca. And then just like organ music started, so just like, yes, we have all the church here in Israel. That's right. I mean, you have to have an establishing shot for your country. France, they know what theirs is. The UK, they know what theirs is. And... Israel, they kind of know what theirs is too. It's the what? It's the wall with the dome of the rock, and so they try to expand out of their their sole cinematic uh, establishing shot. So you know, just trying to branch out for the rest of the country, which is very respectful. Yeah, and I feel like we got some shots in this one that we definitely did not get in 2019 of, of just unity and togetherness. Yeah, that that was my thought. Like during the travel video section, where it was just like, I don't think they could show this today. Like it, it would just be. Number one, I just don't think it would be well-received just because it was just kind of boring. Like, there was no voiceover. The music wasn't poppy in any sort of way. Like, it really was just, like, a travel documentary. I think everybody would be reading way too much into it or thinking that there was, like, ulterior motives to every shot selection. And Mm -hmm. it was just going to turn into, like, film class seminar. So, yeah. (laughs) In 1979, that that month of, uh, of March, Sadat and Begin signed basically the second part of the camp david accords there mm. and it was like so it was a israel was a hopping time during yeah. march 79 it was you know a lot of eyes of the world were looking at that part of the world so i guess, I guess a lot has changed since 79 and 2019 and turns out israel was uh very much still in the news as it goes so beyond those 30 second clips the actual program itself so a lot of it still very similar to what we see in 2019 Songs are still three minutes. There are a maximum of six people on stage in a one time. Uh, there's still a jury vote, although it's entirely the jury, just because they barely have phone coverage for everybody to call in with the jury vote. I guess, I mean, I, I thought of it this way, as opposed to 
you know, it looks familiar to 2019. It should be 2019 looks similar to 1979. It worked so well in the past. They have just kept the same mechanisms. They never felt this is pretty good. No reason to change it. They just thought it was it keeps working. And they apparently 40 years later, they've thought primo, we've got it. Well, I think early on they figured out let's set let's set some basic rules. Mm-hmm. Like let's let's limit things to three minutes. Let's give some rules just so that everybody is sort of on the same playing field theoretically. See, everybody has the same resources. They have the ability to do kind of the same things. Right. I was just very pleased after all the scoring issues we had this year that there were also scoring issues in 1979, possibly exacerbated just by the fact that everybody was phoning in. Just, Quite literally, not by phoning phoning it in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just like literally phoning in and having to give their points in French, which is very difficult to understand over the phone, it turns out, because all of the numbers sound the same. Yeah, and, and just the way that the votes were being presented, uh, which was was a controversial issue this year where people were being like, oh, like they're just presenting it in a different order. And I didn't realize that that was a thing until seeing the score presentation here where it's just you have the 19 countries that are competing and they're going in order that the countries performed in revealing their votes but then the votes are also revealed in the order that the countries perform rather than saying like oh we give one point to this country two points to this country and like working up that way is just being like oh if your country was skipped as they were giving points you're not getting points from that country <laughs> so yep. that, yeah that that took a a couple of rounds to realize oh that's how they're doing it and it's also just the presentation of the scoreboard it's just a static shot of this giant number board where the numbers are just changing as a phone call is like dictating like an order like through a drive-thru like it, it, it's basically like a mcdonald's drive-thru the way that this yeah, is it, operating it felt okay. like we were watching a telethon yes it felt right. like we were watching a telethon and like money was coming in for sick children and all of the all of the votes were read through a Burger King uh, order box. It looked like a more confusing Family Feud. That was my, one of my yes. takeaways. The same same time. But I, I, now I understand the order of the uh, how they were giving the points to the teams. I was like, it seemed such a poor way to present it because it was uh, you go like lowest to highest and have like your big reveal. Who's going to be your big point getter? You know, you kind of revealed. Like, hey, you're, our 12-point country went to this one, and, I was, and like, oh, okay. It's like, then you had, here are the scraps we also gave the other country. That's one of the major changes is that now, especially given that there are now usually 43 countries they have to go to, uh, they will show 7-1, to one, and now even, I think, like 8-10 and 10 will just mm-hmm. sort of appear on the board, and then they will give a big announcement to who got their 12. Right. I mean, that's just better television, you know. I mean, that just seems a better way to present. They were still working on the music and the TV part, putting it all together into a the uh, the vision part of Eurovision. They were still working on that. It's just the limitations of the technology at the time. Like, I mean, right. on-screen graphics, they're really commonplace today. But, I mean, even 10 years ago, like, they're completely right. different and rudimentary. And as we were doing our show prep for this, you'd mentioned that, like, they were using yellow font on a whole bunch of browns and grays. And it's just right. like, yeah, that is not readable <laughs> at all. But... I, 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 like, I respect it. Because I realized mm-hmm. just that's the best they could 
do. Especially when you, like, I always think about when I watch old, like, a football game. There's no, like, every football game they show today has a bar at the bottom that has the two teams and the, and the time and all those other informations. Back in the day, it was just the game, and they would pop on the screen in a white or yellow font every now and then, updates. And it's like, that's just the best they had back in the day. And so I just kind of like, I don't fault anybody for it. I just kind of like, all right, that's what the 70s and 80s used to be like. Just having yeah. the... Uh, well, yeah, and like there, this whole show has much more of a concert hall vibe. Like there's a full orchestra in the front. There's a full orchestra pit. There is a maximum, I think, of like five cameras as opposed to like the 40 whatever that we have now. Oh, yeah. Where we have every possible angle where like it's like, oh, no, we are focusing on this because we are scrambling to get the other two cameras into locations where we can get like a close up. Do y'all know when orchestra was uh, phased out and pushed towards, I guess, re- you know, studio remixing of uh, music? It was in 1999 when uh, Israel hosted again. Uh, they got rid of the orchestras. Uh, too much controversy. Like it, it, it's yeah, still a I controversial think we covered, issue. Yeah, yeah, we we did a we covered this last summer. There is just sort of like the various transitions of how do we represent music at Eurovision, where there you know now like it, where now is nineteen seventy nine. We have an orchestra. Uh, by the 90s, they're starting to move away from that, but you have to have some sort of representation of the instrumentation on stage, which leads to like a weird thing like Gina G from the UK having like two guys like futzing around with these beige computers because it's a synth song. By the next time Israel hosts, the orchestra has been done away with, and now it's just backing tracks. And like if you look at other videos from around this era there's a lot of videos on youtube where there is a group that is very very passionate about bringing the orchestra back and they're the ones who are uploading all these videos looking going look here's the winner with an orchestra we should bring the orchestra back i can see i can see both sides of the argument you know i'm sure there's many logistics and a lot of times the music itself isn't terribly you know orchestrally based one thing that i noticed with a lot of these entries and it could just been this is what was going on in music at the time but just the song immediately starting with backing singers, like kind of scrambling to hit their notes mm. of just kind of setting the stage. And I, again, I think that's just sort of what was going on in music or at least going on in, in Eurovision that year. Yeah. And and just the way that it was staged for so many of them, where it was just like the lead singer was center stage. They might be behind a piano, probably not. But then the backing singers were all like in a row in the same spot on stage right kind of a lack of imagination with the staging i don't know <laughs> yeah I, I yeah i found myself drawn more to the entries that were doing something other than just here is our main singer and also over there are four people in identical dresses i loved what what greece did where like they had some sort of staging and like mm-hmm. turnaround thing going on and also i just kind of liked that their whole song kind of felt like an, like a cut from socrates superstar all i could understand was just socrates and superstar I'm like okay cool this is the follow-up to jesus christ superstar mm-hmm. Why did this not make it to Broadway? Look, if we can have musicals about Jesus and Alexander Hamilton, why can't we have, you know, true ancient Greek Broadway musicals? That's the real question. So mm-hmm. I guess it was called A Funny Thing Have on the Way to the Forum, which is close. But, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the hot follow up to that. That's exactly. Another one that I thought did a great job with the staging Germany like Germany just felt very dynamic and they were all kind of standing in a row but they also had like the one dancer who was like interacting with everybody I, I liked how you, you could tell that the audience was like really into his song by just like the 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 clapping at the end mm-hmm. I'll also say uh watching this uh, song contest it makes me realize how much I hate 
when an audience doesn't know how to applaud and they clap and eventually they all start clapping together on a beat and it's like, eh, that's weird, y'all. Come on, just everybody just clap randomly as opposed to yeah. like, and everyone's like <laughs> just synced up at the end and it's like, that's dumb. So, and there's a few times where the, uh, the audience here did that and I was like, well, I guess, you know, that's just how it goes. So that was a, a very minor pet peeve I had. <laughs> <laughs> What did you guys make of the Swiss entry with like the guys playing yard bags and a rake? My first note was Emmett Otter's jug band. Oh. Okay, good. Good. That was in my notes as well. Yeah, it really highlighted the limits of the camera work, I thought, where you had mentioned that there were like five cameras. And this one came up as well in Norway's entry, I want to No, sorry, Denmark's entry, where it's just like, oh, like you have the overhead camera, the extra wide shot camera, the sort of mid to wide shot camera, the audience camera, and then maybe a close up camera. And like mm-hmm. those, those were the options. There wasn't a steady cam operator who's going to be running around stage. Uh, there was the, during Denmark's entry, they did have tambourine cam where there was a shot that was framed through one of the backing singers' tambourines, but mm-hmm. that was about as adventurous as the camera work got. Yeah, like that song was fun too. Like I liked that one. With Switzerland, they were so spread out on the stage that they just couldn't find a shot that would be flattering or effective well, to yeah, really like, kind of convey like, that. Well, yeah, there was like a we group. don't. Yeah, we don't have steady cam, so we can't have like somebody just like do a, do like a flyby as he walks past all of them. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's like what you said, a five camera setup as opposed to you know they probably have every sweeping shot possible today. You know and basically mm-hmm. drone technology as opposed to, you know, just five television studio cameras. But the Switzerland uh, Country Bear Jamboree was a fantastic, <laughs> uh, wonderful. Yeah. It's, a, one of our, it's one of America's greatest art forms. I'm glad that Switzerland uh, tried to emulate mm-hmm. it. <laughs> they tried. That's yeah, they, they did try. It, it um, felt very PBS Pledge Drive yeah. 2009. A lot of times we, with the modern contest, we talk about whose performance in the final show is playing to both the television audience and the audience in the in the mm. in the arena. And I think we are not yet at that point. Like the TV cameras, there they're sort of a nice to have. People are playing much more to the people who are in that concert hall. Like nobody winking at the camera, nobody doing finger guns. <laughs> Were finger guns even a thing in 1979? <laughs> That's a very good question. I'm definitely going to look up yeah. as soon as we're yep. done. Yep. One of the other things that was running through my head, I think largely just because, A, I have the, the Eurovision movie on my mind, given that we are getting new casting announcements every week, is just looking at ver- these various performers. Who do these people look like? Mm. And, like, Monaco's entrant looked like Andy Samberg to me. It looked like Andy Samberg doing a bit, and they should totally get Andy Samberg for the Eurovision movie because like he's done pop star and like would yeah. totally do like a good kind of doofy yeah I don't I know have, have him represent Monaco and then like the other one that I really want them to get now uh just because a she's delightful in everything but just is very good at musical comedy Maya Rudolph because yes. like Spain's <laughs> entrant looked like a Maya Rudolph character and I want to see that Maya Rudolph character as like the winner from 1979 in the the Will Ferrell Eurovision movie just like in a caftan yeah <laughs> With a microphone. <laughs> Putting mustard on everything. <laughs> Putting mustard on everything. Oh, I uh, figured out another one. Uh, Sweden's main guy that was on the piano. Mm-hmm. He has yes. that uh, Mikey Day look to me. 
that I yes. thought that was like just get all of the SNL people in there because like you had another good one for the hosts. Yes, I uh, told these people before uh, pre our pre show here was that uh, the two hosts, which were the true stars of the show, they had more microphone time. Than everybody else put together. Uh, they especially when they were trying to figure out the numbers in uh, foreign languages at the end of the scoreboard. The male host. He had uh, he had, he was a combination of two people for me. It was a Will Forte like a serious. If, if Will Forte acted like Will Ferrell's Alex Trebek, if those if that amalgam could exist, oh, that okay. was you know just the the seriousness of Will Ferrell's character in that, but just Will Forte being that, not the yeah, just like Will Forte playing like the vice principal of a, at a high school who's very mad at you for ruining exactly his the the Gilly teacher. Maybe that like the Will <laughs> yes Will Forte the, the Gilly teacher for Will Forte that would be a very good uh, portrayal. And then the female host, I think a another Cecily Strong slam dunk performance there. And then I had like one more. This this person makes me think of this person thing. And, like, it, I, it's a very specific Venn diagram of these two things. And luckily, we have A, talked about it on the show. B, I have talked about it with Chris. Uh, so, another thing that was happening in 1979 that we have talked about on the program over in Germany, they were filming a little movie called The Apple. Oh, God. Right. Yeah. So, no. So, if you look at their Irish entry, and I've added this to the doc now. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I've added my own annotations in MS Paint because I'm going full Pepe Sylvia and I'm, pin- I'm putting my push pins into all the things and connecting them with strings on the bulletin board of the show. Uh, if you look at Cahill Dunn, the Irish entrant from 1979, the, the styling is very much uh, Alfie, the main character of The Apple, directed by Menahem Golan and written by a bunch of Israeli people. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of making it up as they went along in like 1979, 1980. I had like just like I'm just connecting the dots here. I'm pretty sure that they're just ripping off Ireland's entry from 1979. This is oh no, mm. yeah, mm. just like the beard, oh, no. the hippie vest, the open white shirt. Oh man, because like while I was watching his performance, I was just like, he is reminding me of somebody, and I cannot put my finger and on it. I eventually landed on Neil Diamond, but even that yeah, there's didn't kind of feel like a Neil Diamondy right. vibe, but uh, also this. I got oh, close no. to the fourth Gib brother. That's what I came yeah. to. They have that same look to it. I mean, and I, I think yeah. well, I, I think that part of it is just that George Gilmore, who played Alfie in the movie, is Scottish, mm. so he has sort of that same kind of pale. Ben, you yeah. know too much about this movie. You know that, right? I think you know yes. that. Yes. Well, again, yes. like I said at the beginning of, of this explanation is that I'm in the middle of the Venn diagram here. Like, I'm the only person who can connect these dots. Oh, man. You were... You know, I, I originally thought that this was a long con to get us to watch the uh, Genghis Khan video again. Now I'm starting to think this is a long con to get us to watch the Apple again. And I'm not going to fall for it, Mike, Benjamin. Mike, <laughs> this entire podcast was a long con to get you to watch the Apple. That's what I was we about discussed to say. this last this, summer. This whole, this oh. whole endeavor y'all are on is just a big conspiracy to do this all over again is Apple-related things. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Chris, Chris saw the Apple the last time that he was at my place for Mystery Hunt. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I was just I was just like yes I can explain this theory and Chris will know what's going on and I have yeah. to I now have to recognize I know what that means which isn't fun for anybody it's like, which is, no. this is fun for no one but like everybody needs to know now that's right but again any questions yes oh. then, why are you like this yeah uh. the other one that I was really intrigued that I really liked was the the Dutch entry from this year uh, Colorado which I looked up the lyrics to and 
they're just basically just some good promo copy for the Colorado Tourism Board. Yeah, I did try to track down to see if Colorado used this song in any sort of capacity, but uh, yeah, I, I wasn't sure, really sure how to tailor that search <laughs> to like, get any results. Just, we, we have not gotten to the point on this podcast where we actually call up the the Colorado Tourism yeah. Board. Just like, <laughs> hey guys, just like at the end of the 70s, early 80s, did you guys like have like a song by the Xander Group just playing over some beautiful vistas of the, the mountains of Colorado? Yeah, I can hold. <laughs> I might tweet them, see see what they have to say. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> if the reply is not just like, a series of question marks, I, I I'm not there's just like job. a lovely digression in like the second verse about it, it's great. We can like buy a second hand horse, uh, and gas is so expensive, which just is just like big seventies mood. Mm-hmm. One of these countries could just sing a ballad version of the first paragraph of a Wikipedia page. And it'd be so beautifully rhymed. to be like, wow, that's moving. And it just yes. turns out it's, you know, an eighth grade science project. And it's like, all right, fantastic. But yeah, San Marino, if you need ideas, we are here. We will write you a song about whatever Wikipedia's article of the day is. Yeah. Will it be good? <laughs> Questionable. I did like that. So so France came in third. And just when the, when the like, teletype came on screen with the title of their song, it's like, I am the sun, baby. Uh, and that one was just such a... That could just as easily be an entry today because it's just that like just French France power ballad. It. Yeah, it's yeah. just like ugh, what, whatever. France, Fran- France has been francing for some time. It yeah, out. yeah. Did- Although, like, I thought Sweden was kind of Swedening at this contest. Yeah. I really like their entry because I, I, it felt like the most of its time of all of the entries, where it's just like it had kind of an ELO vibe, and even though it did not do well at the contest, it did uh, not do well. Yeah. yeah. So another one that I that I misread when I saw the the caption on screen totally did not expect Belgium's entry to be just sort of like a general, like a generic disco. Hey, na na. I just saw it on screen. I was like, Hey Nana. I expected <laughs> it to be like a ballad about one's grandmother. Yeah. I, that, that was the other one that I really, really liked. I thought that the song was like fun and kind of sassy, but like the actual styling and stage performance, it needed so much more funk than was provided yeah Yeah, and like i was reading up on that one i wasn't really paying attention to the scoreboard or at least the bottom of the scoreboard and did not realize that that kate let that tied for last but apparently that song was so poorly received she didn't even bother recording like an album cut or a single cut of that song oh wow yeah like wow i did not know that but yeah it's just like uh, nope i'm done so (laughs) the other one that came in last though uh austria's entry I was like, oh, man, they are taking a risk by, like, just mentioning Jerusalem, and it did not pay off. Oh, man, that one was so boring. It was that so one was boring. Just, yeah. What do you guys think of the UK? Because for me, it felt just like a band full of Rod Stewart's, like, telling you, like, a crazy pub story <sighs> that where the chorus is most just like, sorry, I slept with your friend. What else do you need, Ben? That was, you know, that was... <laughs> That's an excellent question, Chris. Thank you. They just came in like... dressed as beef eaters, and they were like, we're going to play this song, and it's going to be great. So, you know... That was one where I just did not know who the audience was for that song. I, I I think it's like just definitely not for me. So I don't think there was anything that I was going to do about it. But it did well, and like the band mm-hmm. had a pretty successful career. So what what do I know about 1979 mm-hmm. pop? So. Yeah. <laughs> yep. The big question: Did the correct entry win? So it was down to Spain and Israel, and they were very close, neck and neck. And then I realized that, oh no, Spain is the only one to give their points left. They can't get any more points. So it's down to, did they give Israel points or not? I 
think it was the correct winner. Like I, I liked Spain's entry, but yeah, like Hallelujah. Hallelujah is a real good one. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a campfire song. It's (laughs) yeah, and I thought that the performance was fantastic. Like those harmonies were tight. Were were tight. The harmonies were tight. The way that they staged it, where it was like one person, then two person, then four Mm -hmm. people. Great, love it. I was thinking the same thing. Like just looking at the song they play, you know, during the during it, looking at it after, it just seemed like a perfect. You know, of the other 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 songs were very very good, but. It just seemed like that song had a good, it just felt right. It felt like a it good feel, yeah, injury. Yeah. It's it's just very catchy. It's very easy to immediately know the melody and be able to kind of hum along with it. Right. And and like also, when he, like just like from a technical level, it is slightly more difficult than it seems because they do like two or three key changes in there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They, they kind of secretly do that love on top thing. <laughs> they were the Beyonce's of their day. But uh, yeah, it was actually uh, like reading up on it just to be like, oh, well, how did it perform as a single? It reached number one in five countries and was in the top 10 in uh, nine countries. So that's pretty fantastic. And then uh, it turns out that uh, Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet released a cover of it shortly after the contest. And like they performed it on Johnny Carson. And uh, it was their last song to chart, uh, reached number 46 on the adult contemporary chart, which sounds so perfect. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, this is totally a Stephen Eady joint. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And like, that is like a rare occurrence of like a, of a Eurovision song kind of doing a crossover. Because like five years before this, you have Waterloo kind of kicking off ABBA's career. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that the strategy is to... Not pick a song for Eurovision, but pick a song for your band that, you know, if it hits here, you've got it. Like, that's your first, your starting track, you know? The same way, um, I think, like, I think I like this up before. Carrie Underwood's only number one hit was the song she had on American Idol. But it started her career. The same type thing, you know, and I guess ABBA and uh, the, the Milk and Honey group here uh, just went just went all in and it was like here's our song we're gonna play it and we hope you like it and turns out the competition did and you know they had a little bit of a career after that so but also then again so did uh Genghis Khan so you know who's (laughs) where's the legacy there yeah I mean like we did have that 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 lovely reprise of Hallelujah at this year's competition with the the four participants in that daisy chain of people covering each other's Eurovision songs absolutely that was that's why it's like it's almost like an anthem. People really like they knew that song. People like you can really feel in the 2019 when people were singing it. They had orchestral cues of it throughout it, and um, and they had all the five of those people singing the song together, and like the crowd knowing it. And I was like, that's a nice moment. Everyone kind of a nice like Edelweiss moment of everyone like singing the same song. It, and it has that same feeling of Edelweiss of just being like a timeless folk song. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which I think make, uh, could, that has a secret level of success in its own, you know. Hallelujah has that same type of feeling, you know. It feels as old as the country itself, you know, even though it's just uh, a song that was written that year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like, uh, like I think of the soundtrack to The Sting music that is kind of going back to a time that sort of existed but probably didn't exist the way that it's being imagined but then like you hear an ice cream truck driving by playing that song and it's just like oh i want ice cream and it just like kind of takes you into that like happy place exactly Mm -hmm. yeah and i I think this song is a perfect example of that i feel like that that togetherness moment of Mm -hmm. the song and 
that's a very good reason why it was successful there. And you know, it, I was uh, when I was doing some research. One article I was I was I believe the article I was looking at had an Israeli slant to it. Uh, the article did say that Hallelujah was basically the second most famous Eurovision song after Waterloo, which is very high praise. Uh, good on them for recognizing their own talent like that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I, I mean, you could really feel like you know it just had that it has that good like feels like a forever song it just has mm. that you know that that old folk feeling to it where it just seems timeless even when genres change you know mm-hmm. a, yeah. yeah well i mean it's 40 years later and we're responding very positively to it so. that's right and, and the people there and the people there in uh in tel aviv were responding to it and that's mm-hmm. you know i mean it's different who knows if like i'm trying to think what ultra famous american like like I don't know, like like Born to Run. So you see, like some song like that that just has that that feeling of everybody kind of knows it. You know, yeah. that's, that's not even a good example. I don't like maybe like good twentieth century patriotic songs, but that's like the Hallelujah yeah. was a very a very good song and it did well then. And while other songs were good, it just seemed to have the right uh, the right element. And unfortunately, Israel would not host the next year. Yeah. So yeah, Israel pulled off like the rare feat of winning twice in a row. But yeah, like the the aftermath of winning twice, because like they very confidently say at the end, we hope to see you in Jerusalem next year. And like, you could just kind of hear the narrator's voice going, there would not be the contest in in, in Jerusalem next year. Israel was like, can we lose? We're never going to lose again. Now that was their, uh, they they decided their second year to have a song that is just one of their country's favorite songs now. So it's like, like, usually when you win Eurovision, you want to submit a song that is good but not as good because it's very expensive to host. And as it turns out in 1980, Israel was like, we don't have the money to host this again. So uh, they went to Spain uh, and Spain was like, no, we're good. We're, we don't need to host. And then the Netherlands st- stepped in and said, yeah, we can host. We hosted a few years ago. We'll just hold things in the hag again. We still have the props and storage. So they did. And unfortunately, the when it got scheduled, the, the EBU had it on the Israeli Day of Remembrance. So Israel did not get to defend their title because they, they could not participate. If they had moved it a week either way, who knows? Israel might have just had a a streak of never losing again. They would just, you know, it would have been a 40-year run at this point of just Israel winning every year. They had <laughs> momentum and just kept building on it. They were just the, the world champions. Any other thoughts on Eurovision 79? It was a nice one. You know, this was, uh, it, had, it had very good performances in it, and it seems to be the same rhythm and pattern we see today, and, uh, I think a, a good a good showing the legacy of it was how the 2019 show had Hallelujah was seen there, and it was it, it was even nice where it was uh, where they were going over the rules of how the points work. They had clips of or how the voting works. They had clips of previous presenters doing it, and our main gla- uh, bespectacled man got to have a quick blast in uh, 2019 of him explaining the rules once again. So it was like, there you go, the 1979 show lives on. Yeah, I thought this was a fun exercise just to kind of get a little sense of history. And like some of these songs I had zero exposure to. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure this is the first time I heard anything from Monaco or Luxembourg because I've not uh, gone into their catalogs because I've had no reason to uh, before this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like this, this was a lot of fun uh, just doing a historical deep dive. Agreed. And like now that I've watched this, YouTube has suggested like a couple other years. So at some point that might happen. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the new wave years uh, of Eurovision. <laughs> 1984 is in there, so nice. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thanks, as always, for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. Special thanks to our guest this week, Chris King. Thank you for being here, Chris. Glad to be here. It's been fun once again. I'm excited. Of This is episode number 60, which means I have been on 130th of all your shows, which is very, very exciting. And I hope that... Uh, that's an exciting number. That's right. Uh, Chris, where can, where can folks find you online? Best way to find me and see me tweeting dumb jokes out would be at Twitter at CKingSC. First initial, last name, and the state where I live in. So that's CKingSC. You can follow me there. You can find us on our website at eurowhat.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at eurowhat. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. You can subscribe to the eurowhat on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice. Rating and reviewing the podcast when you subscribe also helps other Eurovision fans find us. Next time, uh, we're going to start our Eurovision 2020 coverage by talking about our host country, the Netherlands, while trying to make sense of what's new with Eurovision.